the overall principle I want to just reiterate is that the, the Jewish nation did not see that what God had given them was a gift from God to be stewarded. It was something to be taken care of. What they were given was a responsibility. Mm. Uh, they saw it as ownership. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. Our goal is to help you grow in your faith here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. And a strong faith is the foundation for every good thing in your life. Mm -hmm. It guides you through tough times. It encourages you every single day. And a strong faith will make the good times even better because it is faith that brings life meaning. Your faith is the primary factor in growing emotionally strong. It gives you guidance on how to love the most important people in your life. And it keeps your relationships healthy. What do you think impacts what you believe and what you believe determines who you are and what you do and who you will become? You may have challenges, obstacles, and hard times, but you are called to be an overcomer. The Apostle John says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So we are here to help you grow a strong and powerful faith. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the one, the only, the salty pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Well, here we are more than halfway through the summer, my salty crew, and we are just uh, really getting into the parables of Jesus. And I just think this summer's just been really great. I feel like this is the first summer, you know, in three or four years that actually felt like just an average, normal summer. You do. I would agree. It's not, the weather doesn't seem to be super chaotic. I mean, it started a little late, but yeah. for the most we part, we haven't had a lot of fires in the state of Idaho, which has been really nice. Uh huh. And I think one of the things that's really great too is COVID is just completely one hundred percent done. Yes, people are done talking about it. It's just gone. I did actually walk into a store the other day, and they were requiring masks still, which really? was really wild. How interesting. Which was wild, but yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's the anomaly now, you know, when you walk around and you go places like sometimes when you go traveling and you go do stuff, you know, you walk into a place and they'll have a sign that says no ties, you know, right. or they'll have a sign that says, you know, no shoes, no shirt, no service, or they'll have, you know, you get these quirky places that do quirky things and they're anomalies. It's not yeah. the norm. Yep. And it's kind of like that. Now you'll go someplace and they'll say, you know, you have to wear a mask and you're like, well, okay. Okay. I will. <laughs> but I feel like this summer is normal and you know, we're over halfway through this summer. It's really interesting because in the next couple, three weeks, uh, kids start going back to school. I know the summer is already slipping away from us and yes. it doesn't feel like we've uh, just barely started it. And now it's finally over. <laughs> so it goes it, quick. I wish time would slow down. You know how time was so slow when you were a kid, you yeah. know, summer Especially was forever. Especially during the school year. <laughs> yeah. And, but man, when the older you get, the faster it goes. It's just not fair. Absolutely. Well, on Tuesday, um, Pastor Harvey and I discussed the parable of the tenants and Jesus tells this parable in Matthew 21. And it's really interesting. It's one of the parables that speaks directly to the failure of the Jewish spiritual leaders to see Jesus as the prophesied Messiah. Yeah, the most significant thing I think about this parable is that it actually speaks judgment on the Jewish people who do not accept Jesus as the Messiah. Mm. And Paul addresses this whole issue about Jews and Christianity in the book of Romans, where he talks about the circumcision of the heart. But 
he gets his ideas, I think, from this teaching of Jesus in this parable, the parable of the tenants. And it's it's got a bunch of uh, themes in it, but mm. the main theme at it, it, the end of the parable, and I'm sure that you and Harv really uh, dug into this, is that the the Pharisees recognized he's talking about us. Mm. And so they, they wanted to seize him, but they couldn't because they were afraid of They the were crowd. pretty mad. <laughs> yeah, they were very mad, and they wanted to seize him, but... Uh, he was, uh, because the crowds, they're afraid to do that. I think the principle, after you guys did all the in-depth Bible study, is that the overall principle I want to just reiterate is that the, the Jewish nation did not see that what God had given them was a gift from God to be stewarded. It was something to be taken care of. What they were given was a responsibility. Mm. Uh, they saw it as ownership so instead of giving something to them you know and then seeing it as a stewardship it's like it's like your parents you know they come in and they they give the oldest kid the pizza and say hey take it and put it on the table and cut it up make sure all of this your your siblings get fed right right so the older kid then takes a pizza walk upstairs into their bedroom slams the door and locks it says mine and so that's kind of the imagery I have here. And Jesus actually speaks judgment on them. It's a perfect illustration, though, of how things went off track from the beginning. Because he talks about uh, this whole notion of the vineyard owner who built the vineyard, created the vineyard, and then asked the tenants to steward it, to take mm. care of it. Th- this was the same thing is that in the Garden of Eden, God... Uh, created, right, the heavens and the earth, and then mankind was a partner with God in ruling over the earth. And then a beast, a serpent, comes along and convinces them they don't need God's partnership. The partnership with God is designed to hold them back. And so what do they do? They basically violate the whole partnership they break it. They divorce God, so to speak. This creates the fall. They invite evil into the world. And that's why everything has been a mess since. And so now Jesus, thousands of years later, is telling a parable on how the Jews are doing the exact same thing all over again that Adam and Eve did. And I think one of the most important statements to focus on in this parable is verse 43. Verse 43 says, this Jesus Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing the fruit of it. Okay. And he who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. So the kingdom of God is a gift to human beings. It doesn't belong to us. Those invited to live in it are those who produce the fruit of it. Mm. So it's going to be given to those who produce the fruit of it. And ultimately, it's built on the foundation where Jesus is the rock. And you can stand on him. You can stand in him or you'll be crushed by him. 
And therefore, we must see everything that we have and everything we're doing as something that's been given to us as a gift to oversee and use it for its original purpose. And this is really a big deal. And this is why so many women today are unhappy, in my opinion, in America. And that is, is that they were raised to think like feminists. And what feminists tell them is that what you are naturally designed by biology to do is oppressive, right? Uh, to uh, bear children and then to nurture them is the least valuable thing that you can do. What The most important thing you can do is have a career and make money and pay taxes, you know? And so it's like, really? So you have all these women who think, well, having a career or doing this is the most important thing that will bring my life value. And then they get into their thirties and they're very unhappy people. Right. And so then what they want to do is they want to create a hybrid, right? It's like, well, I want to be the mom boss. And so, boy, what an expectation to create all kinds of failure in your life. Cause you're setting a, such an unrealistically high, uh, standard or expectation for yourself. How, how to do that is almost impossible. It's really difficult to do, to do all of those things. And so the key thing is to realize that if I walk in what my, I am naturally designed to do, I tend to be a happier person. It's like this when you eat, right? When you eat food that feeds your body to do what it was naturally designed to do, what happens? You feel better, you look better, <laughs> you right. know, you have all these things, but what happens when you feed your body, uh, you know, processed foods and a high diet and sugar and processed sugar. And it does all these things to you, right. right. That are negative and creates all of these, these problems. Well, in the same way, we're designed to walk in the fullness of God's kingdom. And when we do, we produce the fruit of it. And so there's a natural order to that. And if we, uh, abandon that natural order, what ends up happening is we're the ones who suffer the most. We are super unhappy people. And why people do this and buy into these ideologies and thoughts is because we think we own it and we can do whatever we want with it, right? We can defy gravity. We can defy biology. We can defy everything because we own it and we can make it do whatever we want. And that's just simply not true at all. That's the biggest issue in the gender discussion today is that it completely is anti-science. Right. And, and so it, you look at what people have done with the earth over the, you know, why do people pollute the earth? Now, I'm not talking about uh, buying into the radical environmental movement that is out there today. That is more like a religion than anything else. What I'm just talking about, though, in the 70s and 80s, people would just you know, dump massive chemicals. And I mean, pollution was pretty bad in America right. back then until we cleaned it up. Why do they do that? Well, because they think it belongs to them. They don't mm -hmm. see it as a stewardship, right? Uh, why do people commit acts of violence? 
right? In that situation, it's what I want and this is what I'm going to do regardless of how it impacts anybody else. And so they're violent or they commit acts of crime. Why, why do people propagate injustice in the world? Well, because they think it's theirs and they can do whatever they want. Why do people abuse other people? Why do people abuse their spouses? Why do people abuse family members? Well, because they believe it's, it's theirs. It's, this is mine and I can do whatever I want with it. They don't understand that there will be a judgment one day. There will, they will be held accountable for the injustice that they propagate. And the primary reason is because when people live in injustice, when they live against the natural order of things, they end up paying a really big price. Yeah. I love what you brought up about us being called to be stewards and that we were designed to be stewards and be part of this process with God. And when we throw that out because the world tells us, no, you're supposed to be doing this or no, you own this space. You can do whatever you want with it. The perspective changes on how you treat that thing and the world and the people around you, because your perspective is the one that they fed you, the world yeah. versus what God did, which was designed you for a purpose and you have a role in helping take care of the people around you, this planet, the the time you're here on earth, you, you are a steward. And that very mm -hmm. dramatically shifts how you think and go through life, right? And mm -hmm. we talked about that in the beginning. What you think and how you think influences what you do, yes. right? And so, and what you believe. So I think mm. that is super, super powerful. What else yeah. do you have on this on this <laughs> parable? Well, I think, I think the other thing that I find really fascinating in this parable is how Jesus tells the parable and then he, he applies it to the Pharisees and they knew who he was talking about. So they're very upset. And he quotes this passage from the old Testament where he says, you know, the, the stone that the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. Mm. And so he's saying, you guys rejected me, but everything in God's kingdom is built on that. It will be built on me. And when you look back, you can say Jesus, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is the most influential historical figure that has ever existed. But what's interesting is Jesus is also the only person that ever claimed he was God. That's it. Now, in our world today, there's a lot of people who are trying to use the Bible to say that Jesus never claimed that, which, of course, is completely false. And you have to think critically and you have to. That's why we want you to know what you believe and why you believe it. And one of the things I thought would be fun to do is introduce you guys to uh, an apologist. He does these on he's on YouTube. Sometimes you can catch him on TikTok. His name is Mr. B. And he uh, says, I have a red pen, therefore I critique. And it's really <laughs> kind of funny, but he talks about this issue of what Jesus claimed and it's about three or four minutes long, but I'd really like to introduce the salty crew, uh, community to Mr. B because I think it can help you grow in your faith, but also notice how Mr. B very calmly really critically thinks through what this person claims. So let's listen. In the Bible, Jesus never directly calls himself God, not even once. If Jesus claimed to be God, don't you think that that would have been a pretty important part to include in the Gospels? Now listen to this. In Numbers 23:19 and Hosea 11:9, the Bible says that God is not a man nor a son of man. But Jesus is said to be a man and a son of man all throughout the New Testament, like John 8:40, Acts 2:22, 2, Timothy 2:5. 2, 
Matthew 16, 27. In fact, Jesus often seems to outright deny that he's God, like in Luke 18, 19, where Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And John 14, 28, where he says, my father is greater than I. So how can God be greater if they're the same? The historian Bart Ehrman, who was once an evangelical Christian said, during his lifetime, Jesus himself didn't call himself God and didn't consider himself God. And none of his disciples had any inkling at all that he was God. If Jesus was explicitly God, it would have been said everywhere in the Bible, but it's not said anywhere. Not even once. Do we have any good reasons from the Bible for thinking Jesus is God? This guy doesn't think so, and he gives a couple reasons why. First, he quotes two Old Testament verses which say God is not a man. Then he turns to some New Testament verses which say Jesus is a man. And well, checkmate Christians. Not so fast. Those Old Testament passages do not preclude the Incarnation. In the Incarnation, God's divine nature didn't transform into a human nature. Rather, the Word remains fully God while adding a human nature to Himself in the person of Jesus. So Jesus is fully divine and fully human, but the divine nature is not the human nature. Second, he cites Luke 18, 19. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. But Jesus isn't denying that He's God. He's asking the rich young ruler if he understands the implications of what he's saying. By the way, Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Third, he cites John 14, 28, the father is greater than I, and asks, how can the father be greater if they're the same? But this question is confused. The father and the son are not the same person. They're distinct persons within the one eternal God. That's why Jesus also says, I and the father are one. So the father is greater than the son in his role, not in his divine nature. Okay, we've looked very briefly at these three objections, but what about evidence for Jesus being God? Here are six lines of evidence for why Christians believe Jesus is God. First, Jesus admits he's God. In John 8, the religious leaders ask Jesus about his identity. He says, before Abraham was, I am, ego I me in Greek. In response, they pick up stones to kill him. Why? Because I am is loaded with theological significance. In fact, Jesus applies the name of God recorded in Isaiah and Exodus to himself. Second, Jesus is addressed as God. Probably the most well-known passage is when Thomas addresses Jesus directly as my Lord and my God. Third, Jesus does the activities of God. In Mark 2, Jesus forgives sins committed against God. In response, the scribes say he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Fourth, Jesus is adored as God. On multiple occasions, Jesus receives worship. For example, after supernaturally calming the storm, his disciples worshipped him. Fifth, Jesus has the aliases of God. Jesus is given the divine titles from the Old Testament, like Lord of Lords and the first and the last. And sixth, Jesus has the attributes of God. For example, the author of Hebrews applies Psalm 102, 25-27 to Jesus, which is a description of the eternal, changeless creator, Yahweh. Go look it up. These are the six different lines of evidence. Individually, they provide evidence for the deity of Jesus, but taken together, they present a compelling case. So what do you think of that? That's old Mr. B kind of just unraveling I'm, the word salad of that guy who was criticizing Jesus. I will say Mr. B is no salty pastor, but I do think he is definitely a, a salty crew member. I think he uh, definitely, he thinks like you do. He likes to take it apart and say, okay, let's actually talk about what you said, right? And I think mm -hmm. that's 
you know, there's so much of this ideology on the internet, especially where you just pick verses out of context, throw them out and say, well, this obviously proves my point about why Christians are dumb. And it's like, I love when guys who are like you or like this guy, Mr. B, who can sit and go, well, let's actually take what is actually being said. Let's take your entire argument and we'll dismantle it, hand it back to you. And now you have nothing to fight with because yeah. they are usually just false um, logical points that don't make sense and they're using them out of context and they think they're so smart but then with just a little bit I mean Mr. B seems very well read and very intelligent but he's not using like high-minded arguments to counteract this stuff he's literally just going through and saying no 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 for these simple reasons he's yeah. not doing a whole theological debate with this man he's just saying your debate sucks and this is why <laughs> yeah he's he's really gained quite a following um uh, on on youtube and in and these little shorts that he does because he's just trying to help people think critically yeah and one of the things that i think is really interesting is that the guy criticizing um you know the christianity quotes bart ehrman and what's fascinating he says you know he used to be an evangelical christian I don't know how that's germane to the argument, but he does say that he quotes Bart Ehrman that says his disciples never considered him God, right? And Jesus never called himself that, which that's just patently false because in the gospels, right? It happened. Jesus says it all the time as Mr. B points out. And when he calms the storm, right? What happens? They worshiped him as Lord. Right. And so in their minds, they thought that. So the question is, is that, well, how does Bart Ehrman come to that conclusion? Well, number one, he is an avowed atheist. And what he does is he picks and chooses what parts of the New Testament he believes are authentic and what aren't. So when you're going to pick and choose, you can take parts out and say, well, they didn't ever believe that because that was never in the original documents. Right. The, the problem with Ehrman's position is that, well, number one, he's very popular in academia. He's written 30, 40 different books. He is the, a distinguished uh, uh, scholar at uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. He's, he has an endowed position, so he's paid, and he does, all he does is write pretty much. He's uh, had a number of New York Times bestsellers. But what's really fascinating is that he's had virtually no impact on authentic Christianity in America. And one of the most interesting things about him is he says in his own biography, Barterman talks about how he was raised an Episcopalian. And then he says, I became an evangelical Christian in high school. So he went to college. He went to Wheaton. And then he went to Princeton seminary to study and what's fascinating is that princeton is just known as just a you know kind of a dumpster fire of progressive liberal ideologies um some of the stuff that's come out of there over the last 50 years has just been some of the craziest stuff you know the jesus seminar people are affiliated with princeton and if you're not if you're out there in the salty crew and you're not familiar with jesus seminar the jesus seminar is a group of academics who are the most progressive left-wing anti-christian people out there who make judgments on whether jesus said what he said or not mm. and what's fascinating is it's kind of died out and it's not very popular anymore well the reason why is because they would take these votes and release these massive uh, uh press releases to get all of this buzz that well jesus never said that you know i am the way the truth and life jesus never said that 
what ha- what has happened is over the last 40 years that the Jesus seminar has been around is they've become uh, like a clanging gong, you know, or a clanging okay. symbol. And the reason why is because Jesus never said that. And then we uncover a new manuscript that's even closer to the New <laughs> Testament, you know, to the first century. And and it's it, it quotes Jesus as saying that. So it, it, what happens is they are they became like the groups of people when dealing with climate change who in the 70s said we were in an ice age. And then they said in the 80s, they said, well, you know, in 15 years, everybody's going to die. In 2000, you know, they said we've got 10 years. By 2010, the sea levels are going to rise four feet and drown everybody. Of course, none of this stuff ever happens. Right. And so people just quit listening because when you make these, you know, overwhelmingly, you know, specific statements about the future and it doesn't happen, people rightfully, yeah. you know, stop listening to you as they should. So I think one of the things about all this is, is that when it comes right down to it, what this person was doing is, isn't it interesting to me? And this is kind of a phenomena that I've noticed. Isn't it interesting that the way people criticize Muslims is by pointing out the truth of Muhammad's life. They talk about how he had 30 wives that he practiced pedophilia. He married a nine year old girl, right? It wasn't so much what he said, but they just point out when they want to discredit and criticize him, uh, how he lived and how, what he practiced sexually and also, which is all documented and his military exploits, all the people he killed with his own hand. When it comes to, uh, Hinduism, isn't it interesting how people point out the contradictions between the thousands of gods that are recorded under the three main gods. Right. Uh, they point that out is the basic structure of the Godhead just doesn't work. Isn't it interesting? People who criticize Latter-day Saints or Mormons simply point out, this is what Joseph did in his life. You know, Joseph Smith, their Joseph founder. Smith. Yeah. The founder, um, all of his wives and he very similar to Muhammad. He married some really young girls right? Right. And so there was a lot of interesting things in that regard. Isn't it interesting when you read about atheists, like you look at Bart Ehrman and these other people and who they are champions of like Nietzsche and uh, Karl Marx and a lot of these other earlier thinkers. Uh, Nietzsche went crazy because he had syphilis and it actually infected his brain. Uh, Karl Marx was considered a slovenly and gross, disgusting human being. He uh, fathered illegitimate children. He abused the help uh, that came over to take care of his house. He, he never showed up to actually teach. He spent his time getting drunk all the time. Even those people who adopted his political philosophy when they would come and visit him, they would say, we met him and he was a gross jerk. Mm. We didn't want anything to do with him. And so... But when people criticize Jesus, right, they don't, nobody criticizes his lifestyle. They don't criticize what, you know, he taught. What they do is they criticize by saying, well, he didn't say what he said, right? Right. About himself. They, that's what they, he never claimed that he was God, but yet Jesus Christ did this over and over again. He's the stone that the builders rejected, but now is the chief cornerstone of the kingdom of God. And he says this, he goes, if you, this stone will crush you. 
Mm. You know, and all these people that have criticized Jesus over a thousand years, and Bart Ehrman is one of them, they are going to die and they will disappear into the ash heap of history. But Jesus Christ and him alone is still the most significant figure in the world today. You know, it is so powerful, the life of this man and the fact that he claimed, I am God. And this is one of the most powerful things about Jesus. Even people who don't believe Jesus was divine believe he existed. Even people who don't believe he was divine also believe that what he taught and the principles he taught concerning life are the gold standard in life. So when it comes down to it, Jesus is prophesying in this parable how he is the stone that was rejected in all human history from this day uh, around the globe revolves around Jesus. Yeah, I think that's, there's very little you can, I mean, the, the you broke it down. Like there's all of these other religions that basically have all of these things against mm-hmm. them, right? And yep. the worst thing that they can bring against Christianity is, well, he didn't say this about it and that's an easy yeah. thing to refute r- refute and so it just gives you more um, confidence in what you believe and why you believe it when you can compare it to all the other things that are mm-hmm. out there so i think that's super powerful and it gives us confidence and it helps us understand really what is going on when people make arguments like this so that we can you know be strong in what we believe because we know what the answer is um well, thank you, Pastor, so much for sharing this application with us today and piggybacking off of what Pastor Harv said on Tuesday. And we want to make sure you guys are aware this is the last episode that will be airing on both the Salty Pastor YouTube channel and the Foothills YouTube channel. We are moving completely over to the Salty Pastor YouTube channel after this episode. So make sure you're subscribed. Make mm-hmm. sure you're doing that. Make sure you go visit the new Salty Pastor website that will be opening up. And um, if you are interested in helping support the Salty Pastor, you can do that through the Salty Pastor website. And that will be absolutely wonderful. Um, thank you guys so much for your support. Thank you for tuning in, listening, and joining us as we learn more and more about our faith and why it's so important, especially these days. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next Tuesday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings. Blessings.